Monday morning reading meeting. Reason 
encouraging examples from the scriptures of some young people who can help us. Examples in the scriptures, David, with that, in the psalm, he started out young, giving the Lord the credit for things that he can do. The lion and the bear, Goliath, he was young, and his start, his eye was 16 years old when he started. Timothy, we heard yesterday, was young. I wonder if we could share some thoughts together on another person. We've had, uh, in Rockway, we had a little taste of Gideon. We looked a little at it in Toronto a few weeks back. I think there's an awful lot there that could still be dug out of that little story of Gideon. We could share the brethren with some different thoughts won't have time to read the whole story of it, but if we could just touch on some very encouraging parts of it. Do you read it in French or in English? You don't have to read the whole what do you want to say? It's probably chapter six, the first ten verses gives us a, a bit of a starting with trust that we can have thoughts shared from other brothers on this because I'm sure there are those that have enjoyed this portion for themselves in the past. What gives us the introduction to this part of the story of Gideon is the sad state that Israel seemed to have found themselves in over and over and over again doing evil in the sight of the Lord, getting away from Him, following idols, and the sad result, in bondage. Notice it was evil in the sight of the Lord, not in the sight of the people. Everybody was doing it. It's all okay. There's nothing wrong. Everybody does it. It was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's what He thinks that is important. Malachi in uh, a reading in bars and whatever, but it seems it was the same thing. Religious people were continuing, or the people were continuing the service, but it was strictly a word service. Everything seemed okay, but to the Lord, they were despising the Lord. the case in the confessing Christianity myself. We have to guard ourselves of that ourselves too. We're not just here not here out of routine or just to show our presence here or physically. We have to be here because we want to be here. We want to know the Lord more. Learn what pleases him. What is done for him will last through eternity. What is done just for mere appearance or to make us look good, to make me look good, it's like the hay stubble and wood hay stubble. 
noticing the, the last statement at the end of chapter 5. The land had rest 40 years from the children of Israel, the devil, in the sight of the Lord. And as you mentioned, you know, it's a continual cycle. They would uh, fall away from the Lord, they'd get into trouble, the Lord would deliver them, then uh, they'd go on in peace and rest for a while and fall again. But the land had rest 40 years. When we come to chapter 6, this is a, a new generation. A new generation. And apparently they didn't learn from the fail- failures of their forefathers. Why do we never learn? The example here is that you know, the generation before them had this experience, fall from the Lord, get into trouble, cry to the Lord, and He delivers. Now the whole cycle starts all over again, as if every new generation has to learn it all for themselves, rather than learning by experience of those who went before. Something for our young people? <laughs> We're noticing yesterday that when there's a victory, that's when we tend to put down our armor mm-hmm. and let down our guard. And then the enemy sets up another way of attack. But it wasn't even a situation here where they were even uh, an outward testimony. They were hiding themselves in verse 2. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made themselves dens, which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. They were hiding themselves in the earth. (laughs) Out of sight, no, no public testimony for the Lord. They were digging themselves into the earth. And the more you want to get involved with the world and its idols, the deeper you'll sink into it. And here they were, digging themselves, hiding themselves in the earth. Instead of shouting to the Lord right away. Verse 13, you find, I don't know if you can read it, but... We talk about the evil in the sight of the Lord. And the fact that this generation had gotten away. Verse 13 of Judges 6. And Gideon said unto him, to the angel of the Lord, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us. So it was a question. It was a statement. Why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles that our fathers told us of? So, it wasn't that they hadn't been told. So they didn't have the faith. Where is it? If. Questions. They didn't put their confidence there. But they didn't know what the word of the Lord said. So passing on truth is a huge responsibility. And we need to take heed. But the word of God is ultimately the guide. Mm-hmm. Is the experience of, of the older ones going on that the word of God is the guide that word is a lamp up in the <coughs> they had heard what their father said and they were looking for some magnificent deliverance but they didn't realize why they were in the condition they were in at that time and maybe that's the failure of the fathers had passed on their, their sins going to cover up the bad things and that's not good either because there's no 
temptation taking, but such as is common to man. Rabbi says all news is old news, just happen to new people all the time. There's nothing different and it's from the passions that they had back in this time, the things that they tripped up. Maybe are a different color, a different shade, but the roots are still the same. Self-exaltation, self-gratification, that boils down to those two things in some way, shape, or form. It's the Word of God that makes the distinction for us in whatever time we're in. Like you said, the biggest obstacle, I believe, is not believing. (laughs) Unbelief, yeah. Shall be done according to your faith, that I would say in English. Believe that the Lord can deliver. Not just in time of Gideon, but in today's time. The Lord is the same, He hasn't changed. That's right. It's always the case in verse 2 when the Lord loses the attraction of our hearts and all of a sudden we get swayed and start finding attractions in the world. That's where the enemy will always have the power and prevail over the Lord's people. When we turn our eyes off the Lord and start going after the world and getting involved with it, and the, bigger, the deeper we dig into the world's things, we'll find that lose the power. That's where it's a nice bright spot with Gideon as we go along to the story. It reminds me of something in in Luke chapter 6. At the end of the chapter, about the wise man and the foolish man, the wise man built his house on the rock and the foolish man built his house on the sand. But uh, our brother Lauren Pike pointed this out a long time ago, and I never forgot it. But only Luke mentions this. The wise man, in verse 48, he is like a man which built a house and digged it deep and laid the foundation on a rock. He said he had a lot of earth to move. A lot of things of the flesh and things of the world to get out of the way to get on that rock. And that's like, in, you know, in, back in Judges 6, they were digging, but not to move it out of the way. They were digging to hide it. <clears throat> but if we want to get down to the rock and lay our foundation on the rock, there's a lot of earth to move. We continue with it. I don't want to dwell too much on the negative of Israel as a nation, and that's that's the, one of the things that is the key point in this little story we get out of Gideon. We see the national, as a nation, Israel, the failure total ruin nationally, but there's individuals that the Lord raises up as the Gideons and the Barons and different ones that if it seems a whole situation, Israel as a nation, this is where the Lord uses individuals. And that's where we get a, a nice bright spot with Gideon the way it started out with him. But just notice in the the fourth verse and the sixth verse when the enemy comes in verse 4 destroy the increase of the earth 
and left no sustenance for Israel. And in verse 6, and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. <coughs> and we think the world has so much to offer us. And the bottom line is, is what it takes away. And it leaves us empty and unsatisfied and unnourished and barren. That's what exactly happened here physically, materially here, but morally and spiritually when we look at it, how it affects the Lord's people and the world gets to have a little too much part in our lives and in our hearts. It won't fill us to satisfy. It will rob us of the joy, of peace, of blessing, of testimony. And yet we think it it has so much to offer. But Israel in verse 6 was greatly impoverished. Exactly the same message as that last yesterday afternoon of the children's meeting, the prodigal son. He was quite rich when he left his father's house, but when he came back, he was filthy, dirty, poor, and he just wanted the servant's place, not even a son's. Uh, the Lord used that story. Things hadn't changed. From the time of Israel to the time when the Lord was on earth, things had not changed. It hasn't changed today, 2,000 years after the Lord has come. Lot went, in, uh, no, Lot went into Sodom, a rich man. And he came out with nothing. He lost everything. His wife and daughter. It would have better to lose the daughter, too. Yeah. So I say you, the guy I'll leave. Now, God said, you can't eat of that tree. Making it like God was keeping them back from something. They had, like, a million other trees to eat from. <laughs> but Satan made it out as if, you know, this was the one that God, because it was, the, well, that's, that's Satan's tactic, right? The minute you get something, well, you put something else in front of your eyes. Whatever it is. As soon as you have it, naturally speaking, you want something else. There's always a faster car or dirt bike, whatever it is. There's something better. If you get a KitchenAid, well, they'll come up with one a little bit bigger. And whatever it is, it never stops. Satan always, always wants you wanting something else. Where Paul, who had nothing, could be content. But that was something that he learned. And... We can learn that the better off we are. Satan always will make us feel like God's keeping us back from some, some blessing when that's not God's desire. His, his plan for us right. hope in the future, a future in the hope, whichever way you want. That's the, the, the eternal aspect is uh, for the believer is you know, glory within, but uh, there's a future for us down here too while we're waiting. For that show, the Lord has a plan for us here. Mm-hmm. 
patient and dependent, willing to wait for him to show us each step of the way. So if we continue on, in verse 8, we find that the Lord sends a prophet to the people, and often through the Old Testament we see where when the Lord's people were going astray, and God wanted to get a message to them, He would send a prophet. And here, He sends a prophet. Doesn't even give us a name here, but does it matter? It's God's word that is being conveyed to the people. We don't need a PhD or a bunch of initials behind the name. Yeah, if we have Jeremiah's and Isaiah's and minor prophets and that give a message. But here it's a prophet that is sent to the children of Israel in verse eight. And the bottom line is the end of verse 10 where we finish there's like I don't know 10 lines 12 lines in verse 8 and 9 and most of them. the prophet telling the people what the Lord did for them the good blessing everything that he did for them but then there's this one short sad phrase at the bottom at the end of verse 10 but you do. It's what God did for them, all the blessing and all the provision. And what did the people do in response? But ye have not obeyed And that's what got them where they were one more time. Disobedience. Not following Lord's word, his will revealed to them. But the next part is in verse 11 where he sends an angel to the individual. An angel comes to give him a prophet to the nation, but an angel, an individual, we see it over and over. An angel, a prophet to rebuke often to rebuke the people for disobedience and to try to turn them back but an angel to encourage and to strengthen so it's uh, very encouraging to see what we find Gideon doing in this event first we just found out in the early part of the chapter that Israel as a nation has been robbed of everything that was rightfully theirs in the land that God provided and intended for them. The enemy robbed it all because of their unfaithfulness. But Gideon, he wasn't going to allow that to happen for himself. He's there threshing wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Like you're saying, there's no way they're going to rob me of my portion. So, the, the Lord had the fruit of the land for his people, intended for his people. And as a nation, corporately, they just, the, the enemies robbed it all. And they're in hiding, famished, 
impoverished, starving, barren, empty. Gideon's here claiming what is his. The fruit of the land, what Israel as a nation didn't. And they lost out on it because of their unfaithfulness. And here he is taking hold of what is his portion. And when you think of the corporate testimony of Christendom today, I don't want to criticize for one moment the gospel efforts and the testimony that is out there. But in the day of ruin that we're found in, yeah, the Lord can still use individuals who will claim what God, what the Lord has intended for us. And the only thing that will rob it and ruin it is what we say with Israel as a nation. We turned away and sought the world and lost it all. But here's Gideon, one that would... And he's doing this before the angel comes to him. This is something that he's doing. And it's because the Lord can look at this person and see him making this stand and making these claims that he can use them for what he's going to call him to do. I guess the parallel for us is to try to put a connection in these Old Testament types and pictures. Do we claim the portion that we have in Christ? When there's so much that's available to us, are we claiming it? And wanting it for ourselves? And putting the effort into getting it? He said it takes an effort to get our portion. Look at the Gideon threshing wheat here by the wine press. He's on guard, he's on watch, he's got to be careful, and he's working hard. Threshing wheat is uh, it's work, like stooping hopes. <laughs> it's the work involved in uh, harvesting. It just doesn't fall into your hands. And so with, uh, for us, we want to get our portion in Christ and uh, learn more of Him and make progress and not, uh, as we said, the enemy's not going to get this. This is mine, I'm going to keep it. He's not going to get it. But that requires watchfulness. It requires effort. It requires spiritual energy. That's important. What we do with the wheat? Use it for making bread. Gideon was going to be feeding one bread when the rest of the nation was impoverished, starving, empty. He was feeding on that manna, but living bread. He put a type into it. That was our portion. 
Christ. When he was called to act, he started looking back at back at himself. That's another natural tendency that I think we all have. But there were some some nice uh, in verse twelve. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, The Lord is with thee. Now, does this change things? The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Sometimes he was always the opposite. He said, I'm the least. My father's house. Gideon in verse uh, 15. Mm-hmm. Okay. God's view is one thing. <laughs> Minds of the other. And that you look at beauty in the world today. God has an estimation of what is beautiful. You look at people working, young girls on the street trying to be beautiful, and they're not. God has that which He looks down and delights to see. Or a bit of grace, for example. There, there are things that God looks for that are beautiful to Him. And if only we could see that more. Look at things from God's to be spiritually minded. Look at it from God's view, not not with a naturalistic viewpoint. I have nothing. You know, I'm just kind of me. The light is in my father's house. They had he felt like he had nothing to offer that God could use. But God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call. on the road to Damascus and didn't come with the bright light but it was a rational in verse 13 Gideon's answer because the angel told him that in verse 12 the Lord is with thee the Lord is with thee an individual thought here the Lord is with thee the Lord is with thee but Gideon's answer was, um, Oh, my Lord, in verse 13, if the Lord be with us. In one way, we can see it that he was concerned about the state of his people. You know, why they were like this, if the Lord is with us. Well, I think there's a difference here between thee and us. If the Lord is with thee, the Lord is going to use this individual, Gideon, when he couldn't use us as a nation because of their national failure and ruin. But the Lord can use individuals. And that's what it gets down to in the day of ruin that we see here. That's basically what we get down to is that the Lord can't use a national testimony anymore. It's an it's individual. And this is what Gideon had to get the picture of. You know, you didn't hear it, right? You didn't, you know, the Lord is with me. But if the Lord be with us. Yeah, he was concerned about us as a, as a, as a the nation. He, he had a concern for the state of, of the people, but the Lord is with thee. So he says in the end of verse 13, But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And that's true. As a nation, that's what happened. 
But the Lord is going to be used individuals to win a victory. And it's encouraging to see how it develops as the chapters come up, you know, go by here. But in verse 14, running out of time, the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Go in this thy might. You mentioned earlier the spiritual energy and the zeal, the spiritual zeal that Gideon had. He showed it in verse 11 where he wasn't going to let the enemy rob from him what, what was his. So he has two things here. In verse, in the verse, in the verse 12, the Lord is with thee. The mighty man of valor. And the end of verse 14. Have not I sent thee? He has the Lord's presence with him. The Lord is with thee. And he has a he has like a divine commission. He's, he's got he's being sent to do something. He has a purpose that the Lord is giving him to accomplish. And I trust that we each can seek the Lord's wisdom as to what He's sending us to as little and insignificant as it may seem. But to be that member of the body where He has placed us. And to know that we're not alone. I am with thee. So there's two and you call them to things that make all the difference for us in our pathway here, the Lord's presence with us and the things that we do, and Him sending us to do it. Whatever it is, as simple as it may be. It's the Lord's presence and the Lord's will. It's something similar in Haggai. Haggai chapter 2. <coughs> Verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, said the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jezebel, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, said the Lord, and work. For I am with you, said the Lord of hosts. I'm going to read verse 5 the way it really should be. But I am with you, said the Lord of hosts. The word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, and my spirit remaineth among you, Fear ye not. Now this is the remnant gone back to rebuild the temple. They no longer have the they don't the temple is in ruins. They no longer have the the um, the glory, the ark. They no longer have the king or the kingdom. What was left? Was, I am with you, the word, and my spirit remain among you. The Lord's presence and His Word and His Spirit. And that's all they need. That's everything there in order to, to do the work which was appointed that might give him. He had the Lord's presence and he had the Lord's will. Uh, what more could he need? <coughs>
call though the elders of Ephesus in Miletus. 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 We have God's word and the grace of God there in Acts 20. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's the same thing. You know, we have the Spirit. And I was working full time. Sometimes nobody would volunteer for a job, so you were voluntold. <laughs> Sometimes the Lord has to do the same thing with us, voluntold. You're volunteering, but you're volunteering told to be volunteered. Verse 15. And said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? So he's looking at himself, shall I save Israel? It's not sinking in yet that the Lord's saying, I telling him that I'm I'm with him. So behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you. He was told once in verse 12, the Lord is with thee. Sometimes we need to hear more than once. Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. So the poorest and the least. so easily and often tend to look at human resources but in this I wonder if he has a bit of a humble spirit here you know the, the poorest in the, the family of Manasseh and he's the least in father's house, father's house. <coughs> but Paul tells us what, what is it that the Lord uses yeah, First Corinthians one. First Corinthians one. Oh, just to save a bit of time in verse twenty-three. First Corinthians one twenty-three. The weak preach Christ crucified, and the Jews a stumbling block, block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is greater than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, are not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, of whom God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and 
sanctification and redemption. And according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So the Lord is looking to use somebody. Here's Gideon. Maybe uh, we look at it as a humble view of himself. The least, the poorest, and the least. There's no riches. God doesn't choose the great things or the strong. <clears throat> The important thing is, even if he's going to be, he's going to smite them with one man. The important thing is, is that it's the Lord that is present and the Lord is the one that is doing it all. He's the strength behind what Gideon is going to do. Well, Dennis, I'm going to make an excuse for Gideon. Look at the enemy. They're like grasshoppers for multitudes. Their camels are without number. What are you, what are you going to do about Dennis that? When the outlook is grim, try the outlook. <laughs> when we look around, we're going to see the waves and the wind and the storm. We're going to sink. You look at the Lord, not at the rock. Right. Probably have to close here, but the uh, that promise in verse 16, surely I will be with thee. In John 15, we just turn to it for a moment. John 15 and verse 5, it's the Lord speaking. John 15 and 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. Speaking to the disciples. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, he can do nothing. So the Lord's promise to Gideon that I surely I will be with thee. And he does, without the Lord, where is the strength? Us being the branches, how long, long ago it was, we tried the choice gleanings for a change in our daily calendar. I think that's where it was. Some may remember it better than me, but it was a, a reference to the Lord's people as being branches attached to the vine. How sometimes those branches, I don't know if you're familiar with the way grapes, if you use the grapes, for instance, the way grapes grow, they have a vine and sometimes the branches that come off from the vine. And uh, the comment was sometimes these branches, they droop down and they get in contact with the earth. And to leave them that long enough, they start to grow roots in the earth. Vine dresser, husband, the Lord goes along, lifts those branches, and the vine dresser will lift those branches off the earth and try to 
get them up off, off the contamination of the earth because when it rains, the mud splashes on them. And, but if it stays there too long, it starts to grow roots. And if, this is a, a picture of us <coughs> as the branches we get too close to the earth and don't set our affections on things above like we're told they're not on things on the earth but the branch lays on the ground too long <coughs> not only will it get contaminated but will it get so attached to it Praise the Savior, ye who know him, who can tell how much we owe him. <coughs> keep us, Lord, O oh, keep us cleaving to thyself and still believing. 256. Praise the Yeah. Mm-hmm.